Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for uh, being with me today. I've been looking forward to this all day. And it's uh, nice and steamy hot here in Minneapolis, St. Paul today. But it is one of those wonderful summer days because we know what's coming. And we're just glad that uh, we have that beautiful warm sunshine. So I'm trying to be positive about the weather um, because, you know, as we reach the end of the summer, it's that's it. That's all the warm for, for about nine months. So I'm loving it. Guy Talk is going to be happening any second now. And the power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish, uh, Pastor Justin Jepson, double agent, and also Dr. Peter Kapfer. That's the team. And gentlemen, welcome. Good to be hey, with Bill. you, Bill. Good to be here, Bill. Thanks, Bill. All right. Some of we've got a lot of static on the line, but we'll fi- get that fixed. How's everyone doing? I'm yeah. having fun. <laughs> Tom Brock, you are in Florida. Do I have that right? Si, senor. <laughs> oh dear! Is it hot and steamy in Florida like it is here, Brock, or is it is it nice out? It's 107 heat index, but if you can jump in the water, it's just fine. Nice, nice. Send us pictures. <laughs> oh, don't, no, yeah. don't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. As always, we want uh, the conversation to be directed by our listeners. If you have a uh, question, you have a concern, you have an issue. If you have a passage from the Bible that you'd like us to look at, let us know, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. I'm in uh, Matthew in chapter 10, um, and starting in verse 32, it says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. I know that's not in the full context of the chapter, but um, I know there's been times when you've been in a discussion with people and maybe you've heard someone say, uh, they're one of those born-again crazy people. And (laughs) because you didn't have the energy at the time to say, well, I'm one of those crazy born-again people. (laughs) Is that a form of disowning? Mm. I think we all go through moments where we miss opportunities. Okay. There's a difference between missing an opportunity, and intentionally denying. And that's what I'm kind of seeing here as I'm looking at the text. If we walk in a process of we're always acknowledging Jesus, that's good. And we don't deny that. Uh, but when we reach a point where we get pushed into a corner, and then, you know, uh, we... Matter of fact, I honestly had a talk with my sister on the way over here, and she was talking about the Black Lives Matters movement when the restaurant where they were telling people to hold up their hands in a fist and those that wouldn't, they got right in their face and intimidated them. She said, I don't know if I'd raise my hand or not. And I said, how do you feel about Jesus with that regard? She goes, I want to believe I'd acknowledge him publicly like that, but I'm not there. Hmm. And I think that's an honest answer. The point is we got to get into our head now. Jesus wasn't kidding when he said these things and we can't get around with him. 
Yeah, I think there's a sense of which in the passage, and and I and I actually don't know with great clarity for sure, you know, what what Jesus was getting at in this. But there's a sense in which he's in the middle of a passage of instructions to his disciples that he is inviting them to go out in the world with the good news. And and this isn't the fullness of that great commission at the end of Matthew 28. It's sort of a a smaller version of that in Matthew 10, where he says, "Go first to the lost sheep in the house of Israel," basically telling his disciples, "Go first to the Jewish people." Uh, and talk about and acknowledge me as the Messiah. And of course, we know so much of the tension in the Gospels is whether the Jewish people are going to accept or reject Jesus as Messiah insofar as they understand him. And so Jesus, in some fashion here, is encouraging them that they're going to experience a ton of resistance as they go out and do this, but that to continue to acknowledge that he is the Messiah, don't let that resistance stop them, because at the end of the day, he really is the Messiah, and those who reject them then will not be in relationship with him at the end of all things either. So it's a little bit of an encouragement for the disciples to keep acknowledging him as Messiah, even though they're going to start facing intense resistance. And I would add, too, that uh, Peter three times denied Jesus and became the head of the early Christian church. And so this is not a momentary slip of failure. I think Jesus is talking about a lifestyle. If your lifestyle is one of of, Peter, confessing him, you're saved even if you blow it periodically. But if your lifestyle is one of denying him, then you will not be saved. And I I mean, I I think, too, I I like to pray for the persecuted church on Tuesdays. And a prayer that I often pray is, Lord, may they not deny you. Uh, But if they do, may they repent, you forgive them and take them back. And I pray that for myself. I hope I would let somebody kill me before I would deny Christ. But Peter's an example of somebody that blew it but repented and was forgiven. And then he did die for Christ, uh, according to early church history. He was crucified upside down. So it's, it's not a momentary slip that Jesus is talking about. It's a lifestyle, I think. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's exactly that, that point, Tom. I was calling, you know, calling to mind, and that's not just true of, of Peter, but that was true. I mean, certainly Peter's highlighted the three times being denied, but, you know, at the night of Jesus' arrest and betrayal, they all betrayed him. And he said that tonight you're all going to fall away, you know. And so I, I think they're, you know, I, I'm grateful that, you know, this, I don't think Jesus is speaking of this as a as an episodic thing. And that, you know, if, I, if I'm honest, the times where I have, uh, I, I have let go or not laid, laid a hold of an opportunity to testify to Jesus I, I, has outweighed amount of times that I have, you know, actually stepped into it with faith, and I'm grateful, and I regret that, but yet that's a godly grief that can produce repentance that, you know, that, that leads to that restoration, and so I think that's true, really, ultimately, of every Christian, that we've we've done that, but I think Jesus is speaking of this in the kind of the gravity of the eternal sense of, as they're, you know, as Peter was talking about earlier, they're going on, they're proclaiming the good news Ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, everyone has a personal responsibility for what they do with Jesus if they accept, receive, or deny and forsake him. And um, and we don't have to place upon ourselves the weight of responsibility of one's eternal destiny. The one word that I was, that caught my attention was the word disowns, disown. Whoever disowns me, I will disown. So did you once own and then disowned? Mm-hmm. Because I can think of the person having never been born again. They're not regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So they would be outside of God's family, which would in a way be disowning God, mm-hmm. right? But the word disown just made me wonder, did you once own and then disown? 
Yeah, I, you know, Judas Iscariot comes to mind, right? Somebody who ultimately betrayed Jesus at the end of the day. And, and it's certainly one of those subjects, Bill, that I think we've talked about on the show a few different times, which is um, if you're in relationship with Jesus, or let's just use the question, if you have salvation, can you lose or forsake or walk away from that? And and there's a lot of different points of view on that, but but there does seem to be indication in the biblical text that that sort of unforgivable sin of uh, of a permanent blasphemy of saying, I'm done with this, uh, once once you've tasted of the life of the kingdom, once you've tasted a relationship with Jesus, if you then turn your back, it's not something that you're probably going to return to, I think is what the text is indicating. But that that subject, you know, has a lot of different points of view on it, too, because some people might suggest that it's the Father who is responsible entirely for one person's salvation, and you have nothing to do with it. And if the Father decides that you should have salvation, you're not going to fall away from it. So there's a lot of different points of view on this. Mm-hmm. All right, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Now, we know that Jesus loves us, um, but do you, do you have a hard time figuring out how to cast your anxieties on him? How do you do that? <laughs> you know, I, I read something in a book years ago, and I do this when I get stressed. Uh, this book said, this lady said, she gets on her knees, she lifts her hands, up toward heaven with her palms facing toward heaven. And she, God, I give you this concern, and I give you this concern. And she visualized putting these concerns in her hands. And then, Lord, I ask you to come down and take them. And you visualize Mm -hmm. the hands of God coming down and taking it out of your palms. And then you turn your palms down empty. And I, I add to that Romans 8, 28, God, I thank you for each of these problems because you promised to use each of these for my good. So I, I do that when I get stressed. And sometimes, five minutes later, I got to do it again because, <laughs> uh, you know, how, how worry works. Rah, rah, rah. And, you know, you can give them to the Lord, but because we're human, we can just keep taking them down. So, I, you know, you can get on your knees again or just verbally uh, lift it to the Lord. I think you think of Jesus in Gethsemane. He was battling stress, and three times he prayed the same thing to the Lord, and that's okay to do. Often, giving the Lord our troubles is a is a process, it's a battle, uh, and you just got to fight it. Well said. Thank you. <laughs> one, one time, <laughs> well, well. I definitely think that... The the how behind this, to kind of piggyback off of Tom, it, it definitely happens in the context of prayer. And the beautiful thing about that is it can happen in a lot of diverse ways, whether someone's speaking it out loud. Sometimes I actually like to pray out loud, um, and that helps me stay focused. Um, and sometimes casting my anxieties on Him um, is, is recognizing what, what am I allowing to occupy my attention and uh, more than God right now. And and so for me, sometimes it's it's not just praying about what I'm anxious about, but it's 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 prayerfully refreshing in my mind who God is through uh, prayerfully reading Scripture, meditating. It's filling my mind with truth that helps me lay aside those weights that that can entangle us and weigh us down. It helps me cast aside those things that are distracting, even though they're important things, and um, and really be refreshed in God's presence. Now I remember one time. I was at the side of a lake, and I literally, you know, grabbed rocks and like, okay, Lord, I'm anxious about this. And like this idea, even the visual tangible expression, you know, and I literally would chuck that rock as far as I could into the lake until I threw my arm out, of course, and then I had to stop doing that. (laughs) But 
but I, but I realized, you know, just because I do it once, right, doesn't mean it won't come back. And um, but yet, by God's grace, I mean, I, I don't need to allow what's, what's causing anxiety to, to really rule or direct, you know, the course of my day. And so, um, so I think that's a big thing. And I, and I think, honestly, the last thing I'll say, too, I, I was uh, just talking to someone earlier about this, but I think casting my anxiety um, uh, upon the Lord can, can happen by me simply expressing what I'm grateful for and expressing gratitude and thanksgiving in the context of prayer. And for me, that really helps, <laughs> helps me lay aside what I'm anxious about, surrender control uh, over the things that, to the Lord, and to be able to really walk in, in His peace. One of the things that I've noticed, and I'm very thankful for as a pastor, I'm a visual learner. And I'm also kinesthetic, so I need to move when I learn. At least that's what my kindergarten teacher said. <laughs> so I'm, I'm always moving. What I've discovered, though, is this. I'm being married to a principal, as well as she's a teacher and I was a teacher as well, is that we have a mistake in Christianity. We think that by standing in the pulpit and intellectually declaring these truths, people will know how to do it. Where my wife helped me understand, no, you've got to either demonstrate it for them or if you're teaching a class. And this is what I always did in classes, at least the last 20 years. Uh, if I had an hour class and we were talking about this text, they would get 15 minutes to come up with 10 examples of how we could actually do this and then let them talk about it. That's fantastic. Yeah, you know, and and I think, like you said, and, and Justin's throwing stones into a lake and, and Brock's talking about opening his hands and what you're describing, too, just those physical expressions as opposed to intellectual ideas can really be helpful. And, and I think as we practice this idea, however we're going to do it, of casting our anxieties, I don't know if you guys have met people that just are not fussed people, right? They usually uh, tend to be a little bit older. They've seen a lot of life. And I think that ongoing practice, because we do cast our anxieties on the Lord, and then it does come back, as Brock said, and we cast it. But, but there is that formational journey that the more you do it, God does respond. I mean, that passage is so beautiful when it says this promise, the Father cares for you. And, and in sometimes mysterious but always very real ways, you do end up in this place of sort of peacefulness in the soul, the peace of God that, that transcends all understanding will begin to guard your heart and mind. And, and as it does that, and then the anxiety creeps up again, and you give it again and give it again, eventually, over time, you actually become formed by right. those things. Your, your, your response to the world around you begins to shift, and you begin to see it through a lens of peace and a lack of anxiety. It's a long-term process, but but certainly I know those people that just— it doesn't matter what seems to happen. They just can't be fussed somehow. And, and they're living in a different way and a different kind of kingdom. Uh, last thing I'd say about it is I, I think about those people at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, where it says what they all went through, all the persecution they had gone through, and yet they had stayed with the journey. And then it says this statement, and the world was not worthy of them. Right. And, and it, it's this idea that there isn't anything left in this world that is going to be able to fuss you because so convinced are you in mind, heart, spirit, and soul that God has your back at the end of the day, even should the worst thing happen, even if you die, yet you shall live. And, and thus you can live in the confidence of that. All right. We'll need to yeah. take a little break. If you don't mind, gentlemen, we'll be right back with Guy Talk. If you have a question or something you'd like us to discuss, 877-933-2484. Be right back. That's the theme song to Guy Talk. 
So glad to have the power panel with me today. We've got Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Pastor Justin Jepson, and then Dr. Peter Kapsner. So that's the team today. We'd love your questions. We're getting some great ones here. Let me do a follow-up to what we were just talking about in terms of uh, casting all your cares. Let's go to the parable of the friend at night. And this is out of Luke chapter 11. Uh, Which of you, if you go to a friend at midnight and tell him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within will answer and say, don't bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and I and give it to you. I tell you, although he did, he will not rise and give it to him because he is his friend. Yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as many as he needs. Is that an example of God teaching us how to come to, to him in prayer, to be persistent? I just did a major teaching on this. It's now on my YouTube channel because it's that whole issue. How do we how do we understand Jesus telling us to be persistent? When I was a young Christian uh, and I was with an evangelical group, so there were Lutherans and Baptists and Pentecostals. I mean, it was a theological, you know, kind of like mashed potatoes. We were all mixed <laughs> together. But it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. But I remember when this topic came up. I remember one person saying, look, you only ask once because if you don't, if you ask more than once, you don't have faith. And I remember this passage on the spot, and I said, then explain what Jesus is saying here. And I remember that became our whole discussion that night, because the point is, Jesus is saying, don't give up. Be persistent. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need. He'll give it to you more than you even ask. But don't give up and keep coming. And so I encourage people to keep going back to the Lord over and over until he redirects your thinking and your praying. And, uh, Bill, the... You just told the parable of the midnight friend. Mm-hmm. There's a parable. There's a parable of the unrighteous judge, where the right. widow comes begging right. and says, "Please, please, banging on his door, give me justice." And he says, "Nope." And finally, he gives in because she won't give up. Right. And Jesus said, "If the evil judge does that, will not the judge of all the earth uh, do right?" And so I think. Uh, This is why I'm going to pray for certain people's salvation till the day I die. And I I see I've been praying for certain people for 30, 40 years, and I've seen no improvement. But I'm going to keep banging on that door Mm because the the point of those two parables are persistent prayer, never give up, and uh, just uh, keep at it. Yeah, I I think definitely it's a parable of the the purpose of— of prayer and being persistent. And I, you know, Bill, and for the rest of you guys too, honestly, I, I, I come to believe and I've experienced time and time again, that, that, that God's answers to my prayer are always better than my requests. And, and what I mean by that is whatever I'm persevering in prayer for, um, uh, the way that God answers, he's never just said, okay, here you go. Um, and even when he has done that and whether it's happened in a short period of time or long period of time, the process of persisting has helped me cultivate a deeper intimacy and a trust so that even if I don't receive what I'm asking for, in the process of persist- persisting, I've grown deeper with the Lord and then have come to recognize that that's truly the greatest gift. And it's not that what I'm praying for doesn't matter uh, or matter to God, especially, you know, as Tom was talking about praying for the salvation of, of, of friends or, or neighbors or family members that don't know Jesus. Absolutely. But there's something about that I've this discovered in that persisting in prayer that is essential to cultivating intimacy, which really I think is really the first purpose of prayer mm-hmm. is intimacy with God. It, and it'll end up leading to the fulfillment of purposes and the answering of prayers. 
Um, but I think that persistent piece is um, is necessary because faith faith will persist. And so that you know, that's Jesus' question. Nevertheless, will you will, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so faith is going to never give up. It's going to keep persisting no matter what. Yeah, I think, Justin, too, I mean, too often I fall into the trap of that transactional notion of prayer, right, where I'm going to pray something and then God is going to, supposed to do something on, on my behalf. And I can't tell you how many times I feel like I've been hit upside the head to say, wait a second here, Capsner, this is about relationship with God at the end of the day. It's less about the transaction and the outcome and all the things that I'm probably far more concerned with. But, but God sort of teaches in that process of persistence, um, a, a deepening relationship and intimacy that you describe. And, and how many times I've gotten to the end of that point of persistence and it's not that you can't remember what you initially started praying for, but suddenly you kind of find yourself in this place of trust that whatever the outcome is, uh, it's going to be in the hands of a good God, of a righteous judge in, in the language of the parable. And, and that's a, that can be a breaking process for sure. I, th- I just think God is far more interested in rightly ordered relationship um, than he is in be, you know, sort of a genie in the bottle, three-wish transactional kind of God, uh, which I think is part of the point of persistence is to learn increasingly what it means to have an undivided heart of devotion and allegiance. And oftentimes that persistence at least has forced me when I've been praying for somebody. I got classmates that I've prayed for for years and years and years when they come to Christ. And I can't tell you how long ago it was. I remember praying for one individual and it was when I got done, I didn't hear a voice, but I had this inner sense. Why didn't you call him? (laughs) Whoa, I just prayed for him. You know, well, pick up the phone and call him. (laughs) And I found that the persistent prayer, when it goes on and on, how is the Lord going to reach that person? Is he just going to drop out of the sky? Oftentimes, it is now motivating us to go and to spend time, listen to them. And some of those relationships I've had to cultivate over 10, 15 years, but some of them have come to Christ as a result. Not because I'm anything special, but because the Lord said your persistence is what I'm going to give you now in going after them. Yeah, and I think when you bring some of those sorts of things up, I think it, it helps us maybe reconstitute our image of God as if some of the reason why maybe God doesn't answer a prayer or why we have to be persistent is I think sometimes we can get this unfortunate and very inaccurate picture that God's sort of standing in heaven going, yeah, that one wasn't quite good enough. You know, let's let's reboot and try this one again. And no, you better pray this way. Oh, and do this and do that. And and you get this sense in which you almost are in this relationship with God where if you can just sort of pull the right chain and get God to move because he's, he's waiting for the right thing to say. I, I think what you're describing, Tom, and Justin, what you had said just about the idea of an ongoing intimacy, it reveals what's really going on in prayer and what really the point of these uh-huh. things are. And, and I think it's helpful to get that in our mind as opposed to if God isn't answering, well, it's just because we're not doing it right somehow. Right. And, right. you know, and if, I, if, and I, if I could—go ahead. Oh, uh, I was just going to say, that calls to mind, too, because I think, I mean, really, the, part of that intimacy is, is cultivating a trust to, rem, to to be mindful of the fact that God knows what we need better than what we do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could request something of God, and I actually maybe can't handle, if even if you were to request that, I maybe wouldn't steward that answer uh you know, in a way that would honor him. And he actually, maybe he might need to take something away from from me and do something else to prepare me so that when he does answer the prayer, when he does bring that blessing, when he does bring that provision, when he does bring that healing, that I'm actually going to steward it and receive it um, in a way that it's, it's not just about me, but it's something that it extends to me that it's meant to extend through me to others. All right. We take a little break. When we come back, lots more guide talk. Let me know what your question is, or if you have a topic you'd like us to tackle, 877-933-2484, the power panel, pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, and Peter Kapsner. Be right back. 
Wednesday afternoons at 2.30 here on Faith. We're back with Guide Talk. Got a great power panel today. Here's a question. Let me do a little introduction of sorts. The book of Ezekiel prophesied, uh, Ezekiel prophesied while living in Babylon. He explained that God's people had experienced Yahweh's judgment seen in their Babylonian exile because they had worshipped idols and turned away from Yahweh. So the book of Ezekiel, there is judgment and mercy throughout the book, and there is pain and new life. The question that came in from a listener is, how is the book of Ezekiel for us today? Who wants at that? (laughs) Oh, I'm always ready to jump in, but whether it be any good or not, it's another matter. I think a lot of us would like to go to Ezekiel and see direct parallels with what's going on in the Middle East and things like that. May well be. But the issue I see from what you just read and uh, what was asked is not so much about what's happening in the Middle East, but what does this tell us about the character of our God? And the character of our God is you don't mess around with him. He's not going to be mocked. He's not going to be fooled. He's not going to put up with us endlessly, you know, running against him or doing what we want or trying to be God or worshiping idols. So how does that apply to us today? Well, look at America. You know, from growing up as a little kid watching Howdy Doody, I know none of you know what that is, but Howdy Doody to what's on TV now, TV is an embarrassment. It's all social engineering. It's all introducing new lifestyles. Everybody has sex. They don't even know each other's name. You uh, see even the news uh, slanting stuff in their own favor for political opinion. We have lost that reverence for God in this country. We have lost that reverence for the truth. And as a result, um, I think Israel will one day appear to have been lucky with the way the Lord handled them compared to the way he's going to handle us. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, yeah, go ahead. So, no, you go ahead, Peter. You got it. I'll follow. You go ahead, Brock. We'll just, we'll break the tie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Actually, I don't have much to say. You go ahead. Wow, that's a first. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Let I, me down, Tom. Yeah. Let me down. <laughs> Let me alert the media. Wait, I am the media. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, just, I just think the one piece that I, I was thinking about when you read that, Bill, was the idea of um, one of God's primary forms of executing judgment is simply to remove his hand from so that we become susceptible to and vulnerable to the forces of darkness and chaos around us. And, and thus, in his lack of intervention, um, the darkness wins. And in this case, Babylon had sacked Israel and it carried them off because God had removed his hand. And, you know, I don't know how that stuff plays itself out today. I, I think clearly Jesus talks about it on the level of individual believers. And, and there's plenty of evidence in the New Testament where there's the sense of go and intervene and go and intervene and go and intervene. But if a person just simply will not listen or will not yield, then you do let them go and you do remove your hand, whether it's the hand of the individual or the hand of the church, just says it's it's time to let them go. And there's some pretty scary passages about that. Now, now how that relates to an entire nation state, I think, is an open-ended question because America isn't... Or, or any kingdom in the world today isn't in the same kind of category that Israel was of the Old Testament as given a specific mandate to shine God's light in the world and to steward his kingdom as it was ever unfolding ultimately to the Gentiles. The church is much more of that steward now yeah. than, than a country might be. So I don't entirely know for sure how that might work with a nation state, but there certainly is a pattern within the judgment of God that he eventually will remove his hand and you do become subject then to the forces of chaos that are ever around us anyway in the kingdom of darkness. And I think there's enough to be afraid about there to at least wonder. Yeah. 
Peter, I shouldn't have had you go first because you stole all my material. <laughs> you just texted it to me, so I just read it. But you're the do- <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, it just, uh, and maybe this is reiterating what you already said, but I think you know, we have to be careful. I think, you know, in North America, we tend to have such an individualistic mindset that we don't, you know, say, well, how does this apply to North America? How does this apply to, uh, you know, to, to, to us Christians in the West? But, you know, how does this apply to Christians globally? Because you look at the trajectory of Ezekiel, and you think of, you know, Ezekiel 36 and 37, those beautiful passages about, you know, taking our heart of stone and making it a heart of flesh. And then we have that crazy vision of Ezekiel 37 of the Valley of Dry Bones, and really this this idea of kind of the anatomy of revival, so to speak, of all that takes place. And he, he talks about in that, you know, uh, he gives this really crazy picture of, you know, Ezekiel taking two sticks and one representing, you know, Israel, the north and Judah, the south, and joining them together in one hand because, I mean, God's people were divided um, and they were at war at odds against each other. And I think when we and that was under the old covenant. And, and again, uh, Ezekiel 36 and 37 points us to the new covenant that when God brings the restoration and he brings about revival, it's so that. So the nations will know that I am the Lord. So the trajectory is whatever God does in his judgment, in his discipline, uh, his mercy will triumph to restore and to bring about that needed reform and revival so that the, the, the ultimate shepherd, which that Ezekiel 37 points us to, is Jesus um, to, to rule over his people so that the nations will know that, that, that he is God, that he is the Lord. And so I think... Um, it's really hard to line it up in current events, and I think we have to be really careful not to be dogmatic about that. But I think, going back to what's already said, it really reveals to us kind of the the, the general tenor of the heart of God, and really kind of the, the trajectory of God's redemptive plan and story that He's that He writes writes across the pages of Scripture, and that we're we are in the midst of in today. Nicely said. Say, uh, Tom Brock, <laughs> I got a nice uh, comment from a listener. Uh, A quick comment on Pastor Tom's example of praying on our knees with palms upward, asking God to take the concern, burden, and then turning palms down. I absolutely love that. We'll start using it today. Well, great. And, you know, can I go back to prayer for a second? Please. I think when we are persisting in prayer, we just got to also remember to have our eyes very open when God answers our prayer. Here's what I mean. I mean, half an hour ago, I was going a little nuts in this condo because I couldn't connect to your guys' show because my phone was weak. So I'm 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 kind of I I went over to the uh, office of this place and and I don't think anybody was there, but I bump into some guy who's kind of going in. I said, "Do you work here?" Well, I, no, I just do the internet stuff. And I said, "Wow!" And this is <laughs> this this guy fixed it for me, and I had prayed. But, boy, to, to me, that was no—I mean, I even said to him, I don't know if he's a believer, and I said, I think you're God's answer to my prayer, because I'm supposed to do a Christian radio show now, and, and uh, you know. So not only to keep your eyes open when you're praying to see God answer the prayer, but then remember to thank God that he answered your prayer, and if somebody else is involved in it, tell them about it, you know. So I, sometimes I think we just say our prayers, and that God, God bothers to answer them, and we, we forgot we even prayed the thing, you know. 
I love that you're saying that, Brock. I can't tell you how often that happens or I've been praying for something. And then that whatever it was, the outcome happens. And I just am such a knucklehead. I completely forget. Like, I'm like, oh, thank yep. you know, just move on with your day. And and <laughs> just it's like, wait a second here. Could I have just even a moment of gratefulness, please, uh, in the midst right. of this? It's it's amazing how quickly we do that. Mm-hmm. And And one more thing on that. I do this every night before I go to bed. I have my prayer time and I thank God for five things he did for me during the day. And that helps me remember every night five things God did for me that day. And I, that, it's a habit I developed, I don't know, 25 years ago, but one of, one of my good habits. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right, I'm yeah. in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and it says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So Paul writes 13 books of the Mm. New Testament and would this description land him a TV show or a radio show mm. if this is his attitude. Yeah, boy, it's so interesting, right? Because his resume was filled with all of the right things, oh, in ter- you know, in terms yes. of, of worldly standards. And I love that pastor when he talks about, you know, I was uh, circumcised at the right time as to uh, a Jewish person. I was, you know, all I was all in with that. I had all of the requisite training and all those requisite skills. And then he said, but whatever I used to count as my gain, I now consider loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, and being found in him. And, and what a turn that this man experienced of, um, what we're so incapable of doing through earthly power and earthly criteria when it comes to proclaiming the wonders of the kingdom and, and, and the power that Jesus offers in our weak vessels, it, you know, it, it took him being knocked off his horse, right? And, mm-hmm. and just the, the horror of him persecuting and killing Christians. And in that place, I mean, Jesus turned him into this soft, beautiful vessel, no, this jar kidding. of clay, as he said, that, that then he was even able to recognize, I have this treasure in this jar of clay so that the surpassing greatness of Jesus might be known through me. I mean, you're right. It is super counterintuitive to what we tend to value in this world. Mm-hmm. My wife and I were watching a Hallmark movie the other night. And, you know, the plots are so varied. They just always keep changing. Hot <laughs> <laughs> choco, cocoa, please, you know, yeah. and they always can't kiss. But what it comes down to, the actors in this particular movie, uh, if I was the director, it felt miscast. Because here, here is, in this particular case, the woman was extremely attractive. And the, the guy, who the hero, that winds up, you know, being her, she loves him and they get married, you know, looked like he could have been a brother of Abbott and Costello. <laughs> and I said, boy, you know, she is certainly out of his league. And what dawned on me at that moment and dawned on my wife, because we were then talking about it later, is that we got to get it through our heads. We're out of league with Jesus. We're not in his league. And we should be dumbfounded that mm-hmm. he even cares about us at all. And so, you know, I understand Paul. The closer he got to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more dumbfounded he became. And the more he realized, you know, I'm miscast. I'm just Paul or Saul, you know, who now is Paul. And that's what Jesus does with mm-hmm. us. That's the amazing thing to me because he's way out of our realm and yet he steps into our realm because he really does care about us individually. Yeah, I like the way Paul says in those verses. Go ahead, Justin. That's okay. No, you well. Maybe I'll go first this time because you'll probably steal my my material. Like, 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 <laughs> no, you no, you go ahead. Everyone's ripping off no, Justin. I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> 
I uh, I was just going to simply say this passage has always been such a, a comfort um, mm-hmm. and an encouraging uh, an encouragement to me because if this was true of someone like the Apostle Paul, you know, which I mean, Paul even that even his name means small. You know, it's interesting when God knocked him off the sword. You know, he renames him Saul to Paul, and and that idea of just the humility that he walked in uh, and that he was content to embrace. And even he even says later on Second Corinthians you know, 12, that he boasts about his weakness because mm-hmm. he says that the power of Christ is perfected in my weakness for when he's weak, I'm strong. And I, there's never been a time where I've had an opportunity to minister, to speak, you know, whether that's in the context of a local church or a chapel or a class, or even just in a conversation where I don't feel this sense of trembling. I don't feel this sense of like my own inadequacy is just screaming at me. That's a for me, it's been a comfort and courage to say, okay, Lord, like, I know I can't, like, I know that I'm completely helpless. I am completely dead in the water unless apart from your Holy Spirit, which then he goes on to talk about wisdom from the Spirit after this. So that's been such an encouragement to me. And when there's been times, though, when I haven't felt that kind of trepidation, that's actually been the very times where I've been leaning upon the flesh and I I fall completely flat on my face. And so, I mean, I feel that all the time. I feel it even before coming on the show, you know, the sense of like, okay, Lord, what am I doing here? And, you know, and I I want to lean upon you. I want to depend upon you. And so this has been such an encouraging passage for me. And it's so simple. I I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's like just the simplicity and yet the power of the gospel um, is comforting and encouraging. But yet this Mm. is really hard to put into practice. Peter, you said something uh, in a Bible study that really stuck with me because you said there were times when you would be delivering a sermon or a message and you felt like you were just hitting on all cylinders because mm-hmm. you were well prepared. And But you said there were times that despite that, I felt like my words were just falling flat, like yeah. they had no authority in them. Yeah. And ever since you said that, I've been kind of freaked out. <laughs> I don't sleep well anymore. Yeah. I leave the light on at night. <laughs> that was the purpose of telling you that. Well, so, yeah, yeah. No. But I just want that of God's authority. Yeah. And so I... I look at this passage and I go, thank goodness this is in here because there's times when I'm hosting a two-hour radio show and I leave with kind of my tail between my legs going, I don't know if there was anything I said that was had any impact. Yeah, it, it, it was that exact scenario you just were describing that I was thinking about again as Justin was talking, right? And, and that I, I know I've been in rooms before where I've thought, Oh man, I'm going to crush this. I'm right. Dr. Capsner, you know, and, and so I've got all the requisite training and everything. And I thought I've got this thing hook, line and sinker for everybody. And, and it's so funny because you start talking and it does feel like the words are just dropping right in front of you with no life, no wisdom, no wind, no ability to impact anything. And it, it, it's actually a little horrifying in the moment you're like, you can stand there and be talking in front of a group of people and say, oh my gosh, I did it again. And, and this idea of knowing nothing other than Christ crucified, um, Justin, I think, said it well, that, you know, when you're in that trembling place, and, and it's not a formula per se, but it is that sense of, oh, my gosh, I do not have what it takes to minister to the kingdom. I don't care what fancy letters I have. I don't care what's under my degree. Um, if God doesn't move here, no life can come because I'm incapable of handling things in his kingdom on my own. All right. I, I like, I like to oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Tom. You gotta, After you talk, well, we're going to take a break. Okay, well, can I talk for five or ten minutes? Oh, sure, go, go ahead. <laughs> You'll be talking by yourself. Time, <laughs> well, yeah, You'll be alone. Paul, <laughs> Paul says, uh, you know, when I came to your Corinthians, I didn't come with all these lofty words of wisdom. The Greeks love to impress people by all their philosophies. And for me, a pet peeve is when you go to a church and the preacher gets up and you can tell 
my, he thinks he's impressive with his big words. And I, 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 it just troubles me when pastors especially, but, but when we one-on-one do this, we're not out to win somebody's argument or to show people how smart we are and therefore you need to come to Christ. We need to humbly do what Paul did. You just simply preach the gospel, mm-hmm. get your ego out of the way, pray for humility before you get up to talk, and just uh, preach Christ crucified and, and let all the ego stuff go to the side. Yeah, I love your heart, Tom Brock. All right, we'll take a little break. We'll be right back with more Guide Talk. Definitely have time for your questions or whatever you would like us to chat about, 877-933-2484. I said that number from memory. Some nice comments from listeners. Here's the one to Tom Brock. You'll like this one. Keep praying. I prayed for my brother uh, to know Jesus as his Savior for 25 years. He was baptized and accepted Jesus three days before he died. Praise oh, God. I'm wow. still praying for my four other siblings and their families. Wonderful. Yep. Mm. yep. Mm. Looking for another good one here because they're still coming in. Let's see. Um, aren't we supposed to preach about the resurrected Christ? We sure are. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how anybody could argue with that one. No one's arguing um, with that one. Oh, he's he's arguing. He's thinking about, Paul said, I came to know nothing among you except yeah. Christ crucified. Well, of course, that includes the resurrection, because in the same epistle, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul says the meat, the gospel core is Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And so he he connects the resurrection with one of the two things you have to believe to be saved, that he died for our Mm -hmm. sins and rose from the dead. So, yeah, in fact, he he spends the whole 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians talking about the resurrection of Christ and ours. So. Right. And I think he's also, he's confronting that, you know, that earthly wisdom, Tom, that you referred to, that the Greeks love to impress each other with. And, you know, that idea of God confounding the the, the, the wisdom of the world, because in, in he, in he, mentions, he mentions that in, in chapter 1, verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So I think he's he's saying that this Jesus going to the cross was so counterintuitive to what we thought would be powerful, to what we thought would be wise, to what we thought would be sufficient to save. And yet that's the exact message that seems foolishness to those who don't have the Spirit. Okay, I love this text message from a listener. It says, guys, I was so excited today. I was beginning to pray about purpose. I feel purposeless a lot. I started my prayer by praising God. Before I even got to the asking part, I found myself praising God that he is always purposeful. Mm. Then it clicks. If I'm in Christ, I can have faith that all things in my life have purpose, Mm. not just the things I can see. Whoa, that gives me chills. Yeah, that's that's a great word. You guys are. (laughs) (laughs) We we live with that fear all the time. Oh, no, but that's but that's brilliant. I mean, right? It's it, the 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 listener's not living in that distinction between some of my life is God's and the rest is not sort of thing. I mean, what what a incredible uh, piece of wisdom! And you're right. I think we're going to hang it up here at five o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, we're going to five fifteen. Just so you know. 
All right, let's see. Um, <laughs> in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, Paul writes, So we do not lose heart, mm-hmm. though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. While I believe this, how do I live this when facing chaos, discouragement, or heartache? Great question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm looking. What? I'm looking some direction. Who's going to go first? <laughs> well, it's not going to be you, Bill. Go ahead. How about Tom Parrish? With the passage, I think is is so critical in the understanding that indeed. Um, Jesus has, how shall I say this? His power is so unique that he literally takes us by the hand and gives us direction and purpose. The problem, I think, for most of us uh, struggling with this passage and others is that we don't understand really why we're here. And that's why I like what the listener said. It it gives us a direction for that. And I think the passage is uh, trying to hit on that as well. Um, Right now, I've got a little block. I've got to get this out. Peter, what are your thoughts? I'm sorry. It's <laughs> That's okay. Drifting. No, yeah. I'm drifting I, here. It's, it's, I mean, that is what, actually part of one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's, it's been, I think, a, a real-life oh. passage in the sense that I once heard a pastor uh, articulate the idea that this light and momentary affliction is, um, is referenced to actually just simply life here on earth compared to the eternal weight of glory that awaits. And so oh. to, to take the perception that we live in a world that is broken and is currently under the principalities and the powers of the dark, And so, uh, of course, we're going to be living within the kind of context in which we're going to constantly be experiencing um, things like perplexity, as he says earlier in the passage, or being crushed or being broken or being bruised. Um, But we don't live with despair. And and though even our bodies are going to be wasting away because they are not the eternal, uh, incorruptible bodies which you'll have, there is an internal reality that's being renewed day by day. And, and I've referenced this before. I think about um, one of the mentors that I had in my life, and, and she followed Jesus in her entire life insofar as I, I knew her. And she was probably about 89 years old when she passed away. And there was nothing left of her physical body. I mean, it, it had been completely spent. And yet there was a beauty that was going on in her last couple of days as my wife and I visited her in the hospital. There was a radiance that you could sense that was emerging from her because she wasn't made for this world as it currently exists. None of us are made for this world as it currently exists. Uh-huh. And, to, and to, to try to squeeze a sense of shalom or peace or wholeness out of a broken world it is uh, going to be forever uh, something that isn't going to work. We're made for a different kind of world. World. And so this light and momentary affliction that is this life is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory that is yet to come. And to take that perception as opposed to trying to squeeze shalom entirely out of this world gives the possibility of us to start to renew ourselves for the, for the world that is to come. Thank you, Peter. My mind has come back. <laughs> I was trying to look up the passage, and one of the things that hits me about this, you've heard people say, you know, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Well, my attitude is the antithesis of that is just as bad. You know, if you're not thinking in terms of eternity, mm-hmm. then all the problems right now become so insurmountable, you right. don't know what to do with them. They just wear you out and wear you down. But when you can, even in the midst of pain, understand that you have an eternal home, that you have an eternal Lord, right. this is not it. You know, we will. this will be a short period of time. What I've seen when I go visit people that are really sick or dying, where I see the epitome of faith is in the midst of their despair, their pain, their sorrow, 
their body wasting away, inability to breathe, they still say, I know where I'm going, yeah. and I know Jesus will be there. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's what this passage is all about. If we don't get there, mm-hmm. then, the, then the financial issues will drive us nuts. People will drive us crazy. We've got to stay focused on where we're going and who we know. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, regard, yeah, I, regarding, per, regarding purpose, think about this. I mean, I praise God that as a Christian, I've got a purpose in life. I know where I came from. I know what I'm doing here. I know where I'm going. So many people, I think the great majority of people on our planet, don't know where they came from, mm-hmm. uh, don't know what they're doing here, and I don't, I'm not sure where I'm going when I die. I mean, so to me, it's just a, a, ble- a blessing that God has given every Christian a purpose. We know we were created. We know we're here to glorify God, and we know we've got eternity coming. And that's just something we should praise God for all the time. I agree. All right, we're going yeah. to take a very short break. Guy Talk will go on for another 15 minutes into the next hour, which I'm looking forward to. I also want to just welcome some new listeners at 89.1 in Mankato and 91.9 in Grand Marais, Minnesota, 103.3 in Wilmer, Minnesota, 89.5 in Brandon, South Dakota, 90.9 in Hutchinson, Minnesota, and 88.3 in Fairmont, Minnesota. If any of you are listening, you just want to reply to me with a text and say, Hey, it's me. I'd love to hear from you. 877-933-2484. Guide Talk is going to happen for 15 more minutes. And then Dr. Paul Kengor will be joining me for the remainder, remaining last hour with his new book, The Devil and Karl Marx. That's going to be interesting. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.